You're listening to What Mad Universe on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Check out all our shows at greenlitpodcast.com. Content warning. Racism, ableism, imperialism, and Elon Musk. Action, excitement, horror, romance, thrills and chills, swords and sorcery, rockets and ray guns, a dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination. What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. steam man was a frightful looking object being painted of a glossy black with a pair of white stripes down its legs with a face that was intended to be of a flesh color but which was really a fearful red to give the machinery an abundance of room the steam man was exceedingly corpulent swelling out to aldermanic proportions which after all was little out of harmony with its immense height the wagon drag behind was an ordinary four-wheeled vehicle with springs very strong wheels, a framework being arranged so that when necessary, it could be securely covered. To guard against the danger of upsetting, it was very broad with low wheels, which it may be safely said were made to hum when the gentleman got fairly underway. Such is a brief and imperfect description of this wonderful steam man, as it appeared on its first visit to the western prairies. Hi, welcome to What Mad Universe? podcast about the origins of science fiction, fantasy, and genre fiction in general. Um, I'm Philip Rice, and with me as always is Adam Prosser. Hello. Uh, today we're talking about a very influential, uh, though uh, in my opinion not very good, um, uh, science fiction novel of, the, um, of a uniquely American subgenre that's been dubbed Edison Aids. Um, this book is The Steam Man of the Prairies by Edward S. Ellis from the mid-1800s, which, um, well, uh, you, you can, can you do the uh, plot summary this time, Adam? <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, there's not a ton of plot to it. Uh, it is uh, basically a uh, brilliant, a, uh, a brilliant little, well, not a, not a kid. What's his exact age, would you say, Johnny? Johnny's. Uh, I age. think he's a kid. Um, yeah, he's he's a teenager basically. Yeah, um, he's a, a teenager. But he's a little he's, person and a, a hunchback in this. Yeah, he's a hunchback, um, and he's a, but he's a brilliant inventor. His name's Johnny Brainerd, and this kid uh, has enough of a um, uh, resources to uh, experiment and invent in his garage, essentially uh, back out east, and he eventually ends up constructing a. Uh, steam-powered mechanical man, um, which is, uh, as described, it's actually described as being extremely tall. Like, I'd say, what, 12 feet tall? Something like that? Yeah. 
Like, it's gigantic. I'm just saying because there's an illustration at the beginning that, that makes it look a bit smaller than that. Um, but mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's a giant uh, steam-powered man with a top hat that is a pipe that shoots steam and uh, makes a whistling noise, has a bo boiler that needs to be stoked. It's not uh, artificially intelligent or anything. It's a, it's just a big, it's a, it's basically a big locomotive, but in the shape of a human. Um, <clears throat> and it, it can pull a cart behind it. And uh, using this, uh, Johnny heads out west and uh, falls in with a number of people, including uh, a Yankee named Ethan Hopkins and an Irishman named Mickey McSquizzle. Uh, and uh, they uh, and there's also a trapper named uh, Baldy, so-called because he was uh, supposedly scalped down the middle, which doesn't make any sense because that's not what scalping was. Um, but um, it doesn't just taking your hair. Uh, but yeah, and anyway, they go out to explore the frontier and uh, strike gold out west and uh, fall afoul of a lot of Native American attacks. That's essentially it. Um, it's just a matter of like the climax is them trying to get home with trying to fight off a native American raid and then to get home with their gold. And in both cases, they're, they're ambushed. And, uh, you know, at, at first they have a, a, um, an advantage because the uh, native Americans are afraid of this, uh, this steam powered man, as is pretty much everyone who sees it, in fact, uh, until they get used to it, but they get used to it and they decide to wall them up in a, uh, a minor ravine that they, they stayed the night in and they have to basically cause the steam man to explode himself to get out of, uh, to, to clear through some boulders that they've put in the way. And, uh, they do so and they escape and they get away with a lot of money in a very abrupt epilogue. Um, so it's uh it's clearly um you know a a, a a an attempt to cash in on the burgeoning progress of the US at the time basically yeah it was uh, specifically inspired by a new jersey newspaper report that an inventor named Zadok P Dederick which is a great name um <laughs> who had created a steam-powered machine shaped like a seven-foot-tall human. Um, it, it probably didn't actually work, or um, and even if it did, it wouldn't have like actually been able to trans, you know, do anything with transport, transportation, or anything. Mm -hmm. um, but that that was basically the what if that actually was worked was the premise of this story. Huh. That's actually interesting because so as we've seen, we've discussed a bit over the course of this podcast, there's a, a long standing history of people claiming to have built robots going back to the Mechanical Turk in the, uh, what was the yeah. Turk? It was the 17th century, something like that? Um, yeah, or, there's actually pictures of this thing. It, it's, uh, it's a little more um, anthropomorphic than the one in the book, which is more uh, straight up mechanical. Like it's... Um, the top half of it is trying to pass it off as like a, I don't know, cartoony person rather than just a big robot vaguely shaped like a man. But the bottom half is just um, skinny mechanical legs. Right. We're so talking it's about a weird the, looking thing. The, the, the actual one. The actual one. Okay. Um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, clearly that was part of the appeal was that it would be a, a humanoid mechanical device rather than just a, a locomotive or whatever um, yeah and that that definitely um got everyone's uh attention um it, it was uh 
but yeah, there was a uh, there was definitely a, a, a it's this this story from what we can tell uh, is the beginning of what what are called Edison aids, uh, which are the um, uh, it was coined in the '90s uh, in the Encyclopedia of Science Fiction by contributor uh, John Clute. Um, I think that's how you pronounce the last name. Uh, I'm just going to read this whole um, paragraph here uh, okay. from that. Um, Daedalus was the first inventor hero, but he was also a bureaucrat. And when he built the labyrinth, he did so as uh, as a slave wage, as a wage slave or sharecropper, on hire to the king. For that reason. Uh, for that reason, the headword for this entry, which is about the creation of an American dream of freelance heroism, has not been formed from his name. As used here, the term Edisonade, or Edisonade, capitalized, um, which is derived from Thomas A. Alva Edison in the same way that Robinsonade is derived from the hero of Daniel Defoe's Robinson Crusoe, uh, can be understood to describe any story dating from the late 19th century on onward and featuring a young U.S. male inventor hero who ingeniously extricates himself from tight spots and who, by doing so, saves himself from defeat and corruption and his friends and the nation and from foreign oppressors. The invention by which he typically accomplishes this feat is not, however, simply a weapon, though it almost always proved to be invincible against the foe and may also be the hero's, make the hero's fortune. It is also a means of transportation, for the Edison aid is not only about saving the country or planet through personal spunk and native wit, it is also about lighting out for, uh, lighting out for the territory. Afterwards, once the hero has penetrated the virgin strand, he will find yet another use for his invention. It will serve as a certificate of ownership. The new territory will probably be empty, except for, quote, natives. Magically, the barefoot boy with cheek of tan will discover that he has made uh, CEO of a compliant world, where a revolutionary set of maxims can be discerned fueling the entrepreneurial engine of the Edison Aid. The conviction that to fix is to patent, that to exploit is to own. Um, yeah, that that pretty much sums it up. And that's, like, the Edison Aid is, it so clearly slots on to you know, an allegory for American capitalism, that it's, it almost like it, it, it you'd almost think it was intentional. Um, like it, it's, it's the young protagonist. It's always a young protagonist. You often literally a kid, uh, but at least a uh, always male, like it's always, always male. A, it's yeah, always of course. A uh, and he's, and you know, because it's a young country and it's burgeoning, it's filled with uh, pluck and spunk and also, you know, genius ideas and creating all kinds of amazing uh, inventions. Uh, so then they head out to a, you know, as, as the, the paragraph said, a virgin territory, which is, of course, you know, occupied by, by Native people and, you know, who but they don't count. Cleared, cleared out of the way <laughs> so that they can, you know, conquer it and get, get rich off of the, uh, the resources that are there. And it, it, it's literally just that over and over again. Um, the, the, uh, you know this so this is oh basic. uh what one little another sentence from friend of the show uh jess nevins on his website mm -hmm. uh the edison aids were among the most morally reprehensible works of fiction of the 19th century on par with the dime novels dime novels the confederacy published to glorify slavery and um having read a few of these um yeah they're really racist <laughs> yeah yeah they're always like, um more more than average for the time even like they're just 
they treat, I mean, the steam man of the prairies treats native people like orcs, basically, to, yeah. you know, a disposable, um, always chaotic enemy who just needs to yeah. be gotten rid of. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it, exactly. it climaxes with them blowing up the steam man in order to kill a bunch of natives and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're they're faceless the... enemies. I mean, it's it's worth noting that um, you know all the dime novels of the time, uh, you know, were pushing a narrative. You know, it, it it's the kind of thing where you know you don't even think about the narrative that's being pushed. It, and it continued well into like the nineteen fifties. Um, yep. The whole narrative of the American West is, has been very rigidly constructed over the period of time, including the time it was actually happening. Um, to just sort of create this a number of different stories about uh, essentially manifest destiny that was that was the whole idea of uh of the US just you know we're 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 going to go west and we're going to create this techno utopia and we're going to uh you know conquer you know though they wouldn't necessarily think of it in those terms uh the the land and tame the virgin wilderness and make it make it our own and the um the most uh uh, the the thing that uh, everyone was uh, uh, very consistent about with this is that um, the Native Americans, as you say, they're very faceless. They are, their motives are never delved into. I, there are certainly people who wrote at that time who wanted to get into the motives of of the Native Americans and and what they believed. Like there there are some more sympathetic uh, stories of Native Americans, and in fact there was. Even at the time, there were people who sort of uh, romanticized, and that that carries its own problems. But there were certainly a lot of people who romanticized the Native Americans and and sort of saw them as a model in some ways for what uh, Americans were going to be like when they moved to the frontier. But it, you know, what's always ignored is, um, you know, for for so long we heard, especially the Apache and the Sioux tribes. Uh, were always portrayed as just these relentless, implacable foes who would just attack you for no reason, and of course the reason they attacked is that they, you know, they'd seen the U S government, you know, whittle away at their territory, break their treaties and do all this other stuff. And the Apaches and the Sioux were the tribes who basically said, well, wait a minute, we're not going to let you do to us what you've done to all these other native American tribes in the East. We're going to, you know, take a stand. It was, it was essentially a war that was being fought, but that isn't really acknowledged by, you know, old West fiction at all. It, it, it's always just, well, we're going to move in and we're just going to set up our, uh, set up our land and nobody we're not bothering anyone but then these uh indians come out of nowhere and kill us all right that was uh, yeah. un- unfortunately uh, that was the mindset there was there was never the sort of um but you're part of a settler force that is invading their territory and literally if you had a problem you're going to call in the army to come wipe out you know the native americans so you are part of the war force you're just doing it in a, a weird backwards way right yeah um so yeah, like we said, this um, this book set off a uh, whole chain of other characters. The first one being uh, Frank Reed and the Steam Man of the Plains uh, from <laughs> uh, 1876. Uh, yeah, this one's just a total ripoff. Um, yeah, but uh, it inspired a, a short series of Frank Reed stories and then a really long series of Frank Reed Jr. stories. So his son uh, featured in over 180 books. Wow! Which is uh, were they all written by the the same the original guy, or was it one of these? Uh, they... No, not the original guy, but most of them were written by the same person, a uh, Louis P. Uh, Centerens under the name No Name. Um, okay. 
uh, Steam Man of the Prairies, uh, the uh, the book we're sort of looking at, uh, was uh, written by Edward S. Ellis under his own name, um, which was rare for dime novels in general. So most of these are written by uh, pseudonyms. Because, um, you know, they're, they're cheap. Um, mm-hmm. they, they weren't respected at the time, and, well, they're not really respected now either, with good reason, but um, these ones anyway. Um but uh yeah but very influential yeah so uh like i said uh, 180 uh uh frank reed jr stories um jack wright uh also by the uh, by uh uh Centerins or no name um was that was another intentional one. the fact that it's reed and wright was that supposed to be a pun or was that just a weird coincidence i think it's just a coincidence huh. um okay. i mean same author so maybe Maybe he was making a joke to himself, but they I don't think they were really connected in any way. Hmm. Um, there was uh, the Electric Bob stories, uh, which was just five uh, short stories by Robert T. Toombs. I read one of these. Uh, it was um, uh, Electric Bob and his Big Black Ostrich, um, which I read because of the amusing name. It's actually available on, uh, again, friend of the show, Jess Nevin's website, uh, if you look for that. Um, it's uh, it's basically the same thing as Steam Man of the Prairies, but a little bit shorter. Um, and an ostrich. It, yeah, it, it it's a little bit uh, goofier in the sense that the the machine is shaped like a giant ostrich. They um, get inside and ride across the desert. It has machine guns under its wings. Oh. Um, what what year was that? Protection. Do you know? Uh, I can't remember. It was um, it, it was all these were were. Most of these were around the same time, so it would have been right. uh, 1880s or something like that. Okay. Um, but uh, the story, yeah, I, again, very racist. Um, actually, you casually tossed out the N-word a couple times to describe a particularly dark-skinned native. Um, and, you know, that's the heroes saying that, so... Mm-hmm. Um, very unfortunate. Um, it kind of had amusing parts, but I, I don't... And it's short. It's much shorter than the other ones, which are already fairly short. So, right. um, I don't know. Check it out if you if you feel like it. Um, yeah. uh, then there was... I uh, haven't been able to find much on this for obvious reasons, but there was a character called Thomas Edison Jr. Uh, by Philip Reed. And this is a young orphan who just happens to have the same name as Thomas Edison. Hmm. Um, and he does inventions, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, all these characters are basically the same. Uh, the most popular one of these, though, is um, by far is Tom Swift, uh, created in 1910 uh, by uh, Edward Stratemeyer, uh, who also created, um, or he was the publisher, so he came up with the idea and got somebody else to write it. But he also came up with uh, Nancy Drew, the Hardy Boys, Dover Boys, and a bunch of other characters. Um yeah, the um, uh, all the stories were written under the pseudonym Victor Appleton by various writers. Um, Tom Swift was hugely influential with stories running from um, from 1910 to, I mean, basically now. I mean, they're they're still sort of publishing them occasionally, um, but they were popular up until the the 50s. Um, a number of um, famous people. Uh, or known people were heavily influenced by them. 
including uh, um, Heinlein and Asimov, um, and also some actual uh, uh, scientists. Bill, Bill Nye said that the books helped uh, make him who he was. Um, uh, and um, uh, yeah, uh, some other ones in, uh, listed as uh, being influenced by it. Bill Gates read it as a child. Uh, as did Steve Wozniak. Uh, yeah, these are basically, if they were written now, they'd be like um, uh, young Elon Musk. You know, it's that sort of myth of um, right. the, I mean, I, I guess you could... The boy genius. If Iron Man was younger, he'd be uh, <laughs> an Edison Aid character, basically. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, 100%. And I mean... In that not, not to say any of the, you know... Uh, Bill Gates or Elon Musk actually match up to the the ideal, but that's the way they're sort of mythologized right. even now. Yeah, it's worth. Okay, so that brings up something I actually want to go back. We'll talk a bit more about Tom Swift in a moment, I think, but I, I do want to go back to um, to the fact that this is tied into Edison, and they're called Edison aids. It's worth noting that uh, Steam Man of the Prairies uh, didn't, or it's also known as the Huge Hunter, by the way. Um, it, it, this was actually published before Edison was a particularly well-known figure. Uh, so that's actually fascinating to me because Edison, his first patent was filed in 1869, which was the year after this book was published. And uh, he didn't st set up the famous Menlo Park uh, lab Laboratory until 1876, which I noticed was the same year that the uh, the other Steam Man of the Prairies uh, book, I forget what you said it was called. Steam Man of the Plains with Steam Frank Reed. <laughs> Steam Man of the Plains. Uh, but that came out the same year that Edison uh, started Menlo Park. Uh, I have to imagine that even though this was the origin for it, it really got a boost from uh, the mythology of Thomas Edison. Uh, because he Yeah, was, yeah. Um, this, in a lot of ways, is um, a rough draft for what's to come. I think a big tell is that uh, Johnny Brainerd in this book is a little person and a hunchback, while all the other edison aid characters are, you know, just uh, regular... Uh, all-American white kids, you know? Right, yeah, it's, it's they, they've... Able-bodied they and all that. Yeah, it's an interesting that they do that, like, that's at least one thing that's interesting about this particular version is that, you know, the kid, the, the main the main uh, protagonist is disabled in that way, and, and that's, um, I think, I think the reason that for that is just the implication that, um, well, first of all, just to, the initial image of the book is that you know, these people who are, uh, you know, frontiersmen see this uh, giant uh, uh, mechanical man loping across the plane all of a sudden, and it blows their mind. And the fact that the, you know, it's being ridden by, you know, a hunchback sort of, it, it creates a, you know, an, an unearthly image to, to view, right? Like it, it makes them go, what the hell am I seeing here? Right. Um, but it's also, I think, to imply the fact that Johnny, because he's, uh, disabled. It's, that's why he poured so much effort into his inventions and 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 into the life of the mind, right? Like that's sort of yeah. He, he became obsessive. I think I think if there's a rationale for it, it's that. Uh, but otherwise, you know, J Johnny is very much the protagonist. And he's you know the classic plucky all American boy. So you know you got to give that to them. I mean, he's he's not. There's no nothing about him being uh you know a little person or a hunchback is is sort of mentioned derogatorily or, or as limiting him as the hero of the story. So that's, uh, that's, that's kind of interesting in that regard. And as you say, the later ones, it's always, you know, plucky, all American, you know, perfectly abled 
boy. Um, but it's worth noting that, yeah, so this, this was a period when um, someone like Edison, uh, you know, he was basically you know, a God on earth to a lot of people, uh, at the, for, for the late years of the 20, of uh, the 19th century. He was, um, uh, if I recall correctly, some, there's, there's a museum somewhere where they claim to have captured his last breath as he was dying. Um, and, and, and put that in a, in a, in a, I think you can still see it. Like there's an Edison museum. Um, like this was, you know, it was, I, I'm not going to say it was a full on cult, but as we talked about recently with the, um, uh, the uh, the the episode uh, Labyrinth of Hell, the one about um, the uh, 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 Karnacki, Thomas Karnacki. Um, this was definitely, first of all, it was an era when the scientific and the and the mystical were kind of being tied together, and Edison represents more of the scientific side of the of the spectrum. But also, you know, there were these tremendously significant people who were incredibly like we talk about celebrities now. We think we live in a culture of celebrity, but the people who were celebrities at that time were just beyond anything we could possibly imagine. Houdini was another one, as we said in that episode, he came later. Um, but Edison was just, and it was partly because Edison knew how to mythologize himself. If I, if I hadn't, if we hadn't noted that these came before Edison really took off, um, I would have almost believed he'd, he'd like commissioned them to be written for himself. <laughs> to, just to, just to like, uh, you know, well, that, that did happen with, um, uh, he is the star of some science fiction stories, which are often lumped into Edison aids, including in the original article. But they're sort of different from what we're talking about here in that they actually star Edison um, right. as an adult. Um, but uh, he was the uh, protagonist in um, Edison's Conquest of Mars, an unauthorized sequel to War of the Worlds, where <laughs> Thomas Edison gets revenge on the Martians, um, which I did read years and years ago. And it's... It's pretty bad, though, kind of influential. It was written by Garrett P. Service, just a hack writer, but um, um, it, it introduced a lot of science fiction tropes that uh, are still used, like the spacesuit or um, the idea of Martians building the pyramids sort of predicts the whole chariot of the gods nonsense. Oh, okay. Ancient alien stuff. But, um, but Edison himself didn't like have anything to do with the writing of those stories, right? Like he I don't think involved. he. I, I I mean, it would have been authorized, right? Uh, I'm not sure. Oh, okay, but he was yeah, like the right. main character, right? Yeah, so. yeah. No, I'm sure that wasn't sort of Edison's priority. But like, it's kind of like there's a difference between, and as we can see, these were cash-ins, 100. Um, yeah. But like, so that's why they're sort of cheaply ground out quickly. It's like everyone likes Edison. Let's make, or everyone likes inventions in general, and the you know the forward marks of progress post-Civil War up until uh, the early, you know, World War One era, it, you know, suddenly there's this incredible drive for that kind of thing, so we'll cash in. But Edison was such a self-mythologizer that I could almost believe he had, he had at least nudged it a little, you know, because he, he is, there's a reason Edison is the one who was famous and not, as we all know, Nikola Tesla, not to get into that whole thing, but as we all know, Edison kind of, uh, kind of, like, in some ways, Tesla was the, the actual brains and Edison was the one who exploited a lot of other people including not just tesla but other people as well yeah which is weird that the company now known as tesla is run by a guy who's more like edison <laughs> exactly yeah edison i mean not to say edison wasn't you know a, a good inventor but uh you know he knew how to market himself he knew how to play the capitalist game essentially in a way that yeah more and brilliant he knew how didn't. to um how to discredit other people's inventions through right. public um like um Oh, which one had AC and which one had DC? Te I Tesla's was uh, AC and 
Uh, I, oh God! I'm, okay, let's. Yeah. Let me go. So, um, um, Edison actually uh, used Tesla's uh, form of electricity to electrocute an elephant to show that it was really dangerous. Right. Which is and weird he, because yeah, he and he um, well, he also supported uh, public or uh, the electric chair as a form of execution because it used Tesla's technique, and that would right. connect in people's minds. If you use that, you'll die. Right. Yeah, no, of course it was, it was, uh, yeah, sorry, Edison was DC, uh, Tesla was AC. Um, okay, yeah. Which actually, I think we use AC more than DC these days, but I'm not 100% clear. Um, but of course, you've got it, you've got to have it sort of adaptable for both. But yes, it was, you know, that was, that was something he did. And he, uh, he, you know, he, he, he probably indulged in some slightly dubious behavior when it came to Swan, who was the co-inventor of the light bulb. Um, you know, the fact that they got, they shared the patent on it. Um, he also, I mean, to be um, fair, they were both had, they also, uh, he also had a film company, of course, and he, um, um, sent the Pinkertons and stuff against other people who were trying to film things because they were horning in on his racket. And that's basically why Hollywood got set up. Right. Exactly. Get they away from move, Edison specifically. Yeah. They moved West. Like he, they were at the time it was Nickelodeons, which would play and, and, and Edison was sending hired goons to go around and smash up Nickelodeons that weren't because he claimed that he was the only one who could make uh film basically. And, and so a lot of these people, you know, who, uh, who wanted to make films moved out west to get away from Edison, and and yeah, of course they were way better at making movies than Edison ultimately. <laughs> so uh, that became the birth birth of Hollywood essentially. I've and actually also, seen one of Edison's movies, uh, another Martian story, um, basically just a, a shallow rip off of uh, Georges Méliès' uh, Trip to the Moon, hmm, uh, hmm. but set on Mars. It's got some tree men, some some interesting visuals, but it's mm-hmm. it's basically nothing. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's, it's you know, I don't expect someone who can invent a, an engineer something cool to be a great filmmaker either, which is why it's so weird. But I get you know, he he was more interested in hanging on to the intellectual rights that he wasn't actually making good movies. I guess so. You know, there's yeah, that. just just the thought of seeing a movie at that point in time was like a mind blowing experience. So you know, you can film someone sneezing or a train running into the the camera and it it blows everyone's minds basically. So anyway, uh. Thank God we moved beyond such mindless commercialism. Anyway, now a word from our sponsors. Welcome to Casual Magic, the show where we explore the fun side of Magic the Gathering. I'm your host, Shivam Putt, and each week we delve into everything from casual format to explorations of creatures and card types to interviews with designers of the game. At Casual Magic, we believe that it just isn't magic without the gathering. Come along and play. Come on in. What can I get you? Sure, I've heard of Hair of the Dogcast. They're that podcast about video games and beer. From the latest gaming headlines to diving deep into the games of yesterday to sampling and reviewing craft beer from all over the world, Hair of the Dogcast is here for the gamer and beer lover in all of us. Available weekly on the Greenlit Podcast Network. Anyway, um, but yeah, so yeah, it, it led to a, like it's 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 led to many many many. Uh, it's it's really a trope that is still in popular culture to this day. Um, you want you pro? I, I assume you want to talk about Tom Swift some more here at this point, right? Yeah, um, some more inventions that are um, uh, speaking of movies. Uh, the movie camera uh, appeared in a Tom Swift story before before Edison came up with it or patented it. Right. Um, 
So uh, it, it's sort of doing the, um, you know, Jules Verne predicting the submarine right. and that sort of thing. Well, I want to, um, sorry, I want to, I want to put up a little note flag there because um, the basics of photography go back to, I think the very late 18th century, they had already started to get like expose light to certain film and get uh, something. I mean, it was barely recognizable as a photograph, but it was getting there. Uh, so he, you know, obviously Edison created a, a device that allowed you to, uh, to take photographs more easily, but you know the principles were all there. It was just a matter. Oh of... no, I mean movie camera, like film, like uh, moving pictures. Oh, film cameras. Okay, all right. Yeah, it was uh, a story called Tom Swift's magic camera or something like that. Okay, what does um, he do with that exactly? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't read that one. <laughs> okay, yeah, um, how many Tom Swift stories are there? There's a lot, aren't there? Yeah, there's a there's a lot. Like I said, they were they're they're still sort of occasionally publishing them. Actually, um, this is timely because it was announced the other day as we're recording this that um, uh, the CW, which has a show about Nancy Drew, is planning to expand that into an expanded universe with other shows starting with a Tom Swift series. So we're getting a sexy Tom Swift (laughs) as a teenager who has romantic entanglements. I I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. Sexy Edison AIDS was not a genre I was expecting, but here we are. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, you can see that because, like, if he's if they're going to do Hardy Boys and stuff, they're kind of like, ah, uh, whatever. But Tom Swift at least has a whole other, like, venue to itself. And as we say, I mean, there's been so many boy adventure type stories that it's yeah. not hard to um, yeah, watch that in there. So, yeah, the big one is the TASER, which a lot of people don't know actually um, is an acronym. It was originally TSER, which stood for. Tom Swift's electric rifle based on the electric rifle from the Tom Swift stories. Um, it was eventually, they added an A because the, uh, um, according to, uh, inventor Jack cover, uh, it was added because he got, uh, tired of answering the phone T S E R. So he just, uh, added an A so he could just say taser. Um, though of course the, the actual taser was invented by William Murdoch and, of Murdoch Mysteries, oh, um, yes, we all know. several years before. Sorry, the Canadian uh, yes. crime show that takes place in the early 20th century, and they keep inventing things that didn't exist yet. Uh, sorry, um, but yeah, the electric rifle is is uh, the the taser is is the big one that's uh, credited to him, and and that's especially notable because the a word we use every day actually is an acronym that includes his name, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. I always sort of assumed it was like riffing on laser, but apparently it's not. So there you go. Um, yeah. Uh, so uh, not not to, you know, we, we often bring up League of Extraordinary Gentlemen because they do reference pretty much everything. Um, but um, it did have an issue with a number of uh, Edison aid characters as older men, um, as the villains of the story. Um including Tom Swift, uh, Frank Reed, uh, Jack Wright, and uh, yeah, just those three. But uh, I think some of them were spelled slightly differently to get around trademark issues, like Swift was spelled with a, with a Y instead of an I sort of thing. Um, like these are old stories and they're public domain, but like there's still companies that try to sue you over using the names, that sort of thing. 
Um, yeah, it's in no but, way uh, alarming that characters from who are over 100 years old are still being, you know, fought over the IP for, <laughs> and you can't use yeah. them anymore. I mean, it's a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit much. And as as you just said, you know, they're since they're going to try and turn Tom Swift into a into a TV show, you know, it shows you that, <laughs> that people are, you know, there's there's characters who are never going to fall into public domain. It seems like so. Yeah. So uh, some jokes from that that amuse me. Um, the um, clear statement that uh, Frank Reed in universe ripped off the steam man from Johnny Brainerd. Mm. Um, like he just, uh, they, they keep saying it was a stolen invention and his and Frank Reed Jr.'s um, uh, whole legacy is built on his father's theft. Um, it, it also uh, played them all as staggeringly racist openly, um, which is fitting uh, for what the stories are. And it, it mentioned uh, the electric rifle and that soon every law enforcement uh, agency will have one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I started to actually read the electric rifle story. I didn't get it finished in time for the podcast, but um, the, the, the way the, it, it is literally an electric rifle. Uh, it's not meant to be um, incapacitating. It is meant to kill or to destroy. Uh, it, the main uh, thing that's, good about it basically is that you can set the range to a very precise level so you can say 200 yards and then past 200 yards it'll be non-fatal um it's an electrically powered well he says he, he sort of changes his mind a bit on whether it's a bullet or a bolt of electricity but it does seem to be a projectile that's uh, fired via electricity. So it's essentially a rifle powered by electricity rather than a rifle that shoots electricity. Okay. But he does he does also talk about how it can shoot uh, what sound off an awful lot like laser beams as well. This is why I'm saying they seem to go back and forth on it. Um, so it can do all these different things. Anyway, so apparently he, he, he takes it out into uh, Africa to, to hunt elephants and so on and I'm sure that uh, goes really well. <laughs> Again, just because he's got such a an exciting, but yeah, it's it's as uh you know as as people have pointed out, it's like it's uh <clears throat> again this is all tied into this um, unfortunate uh, legacy of of um, uh, manifest destiny in in uh, in American culture, especially which is you know it's the it's the more negative side of of uh, technological progress essentially. So yeah, I. The boy inventor trope uh, never went away, and I mean, you could see it in something like. Oh uh, yeah, of Rich course. There's uh, modern. Well, hang on. Let's go, let's go. Let's go back a bit. Let's go. Um, like Richie Rich, for instance. Uh, he's the emphasis with Richie Rich is on the money, but he is an inventor, and he ha he uses weird gadgets to go traveling around the world and having adventures. Um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, characters like Dilton Doily on. Um, on Archie, you know, he's the boy genius, even though he's not the main character, but he's, you know, there, there's always this idea that there's this one brilliant kid who can invent crazy stuff. Uh, but yeah, as you were saying, so modern, modern versions. Um, yeah. Jimmy Neutron's um, probably the most popular modern version of this trope. Mm -hmm. um, Dexter's I'm not really familiar with it, but um, it has, you know, he's a boy inventor. Um, has more of a '50s sort of uh, Z Rust idea, but um, yeah. still, it's it's tapping into the same thing. Um, a big one I like uh, going back to Alan Moore comics is uh, Alan Moore and Kevin Nolan's character from Tomorrow Stories, uh, Jack B. Quick, who's um, a total parody of this sort of thing mixed with like 1950s small town values. 
Right. I mean, it's, it's Tom Swift, Jack B. Quick. Like he's literally the same character just through Alan Moore's weird filter, basically. Yeah. And he's like, uh, there's an issue where he he decides that light is up to something because it it goes too fast. And is it a particle or a wave? He can't pin it down. Yeah. Um, and so in creates fast and light travel to, uh, to arrest photons. Right. Uh, yeah. So just wacky stuff like that. I think it was revealed in Promethea, uh, the crossover with Promethea, that he's like um, warping reality and his inventions don't actually work, but he's just sort of changing how yeah. reality works around him. I get. Yeah, it's it's well, that was a factor of like with the Tomorrow stories. He was trying to he's had these very different characters and he was trying to tie them into one shared universe, ultimately, which uh, was fun, but wasn't to me the point of the stories as much like tom strong no uh, yeah Jack B. quick and promethea are all extremely different characters but even though they you know the, he had them coexisting at the end but but yeah it's it's uh you know jack b quick is just completely uh goofball he creates a planet uh, a, an entire solar system that takes up his entire town in the first episode he creates shoes that let him move backward through time uh like all kinds of weird yeah he weird he, stuff um, gets he creates uh anti-gravity with the old joke of you know a cat always lands on its feet and the uh toast always lands buttered side down so if you stick a buttered toast on the back of a cat it won't fall yeah exactly <laughs> that sort of thing yeah it's 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 uh it's much more whimsical and fun than a lot of these that which is uh, but, but also has some darker tones because it's like Jack has um, very uh, retrograde ideas about things. And uh, yeah. there's also the, the running gag that his parents are increasingly terrified throughout the stories of their, yeah. of, their, of their son, you know, possibly destroying the world or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, and, and, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, that's sort of one of the more recent, that's one of the more overt ones. And of course it's Ellen Moore who's riffing on all this stuff, but, the, but there's so many other uh, characters that you go back. Uh, I mentioned uh, Dexter's laboratory. Is the oh, same right. Kind Dexter's of thing. lab's a big one. Yeah. Um, and I mean, was, again, um, he's, he's more of the butt of the joke in that, but it, it definitely is tying into this. Yeah. But he's still a genius inventor kid, right? Like that's the yep. thing. He, he does all that stuff. Uh, there was, um, Oh my God. I'm trying to remember the, what was the comic book? Um, it's Barry Ween, boy genius. That's the one I'm thinking of. Um, okay. By, uh, by um, Judd Winnick. Um, so that was one of his first things that he did, uh, which is you know a much more you know crass and foul-mouthed version of it. But again, boy genius type character. It's it's obviously I don't we don't need to explain it. It's a huge trope. Everyone <laughs> everyone uses that trope, right? We don't need to explain it. Um, uh, it's 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 let's very just, common. In let's just uh, delete this entire episode. Yeah, exactly. But, well, well, we're talking about the origins here, anyway. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where, if you're ever wondering, that's where it came from. But it is bound up with all kinds of horrible stuff about <laughs> about America. But, uh, you know, it's a fun, it's a fun, if you, uh, it's a fun uh, concept, at least, that can be. Yeah, even though uh, the execution was usually really uh, problematic, to say the least. Indeed. Well, we're about ready to drift off into the sunset in our fantastical flying machine. So that's all for this episode. We've been Boy Geniuses Philip Rice and Adam Prosser. As always, thanks to our engineer and producer Alex Ross, who provides us with raw materials, and the amazing patented mechanical theme songwriter Jack Furyk. Uh, if you want to keep this podcast from running out of steam, you can subscribe to our Patreons, uh, which help pay for hosting costs and whatnot. Bonus features include being able to listen to this podcast early every time, 
but we've also got lots of bonus material, cut footage, illustrations, and comics, among other things. I also do want to uh, mention uh, the other podcast that I'm doing at the moment, just a limited-run podcast about Star Trek called the Mirror Universe Podcast at mirroruniverse.podbean.com. Uh, check that out. That's also available uh, early on my Patreon. Uh, they'll all be going up eventually, but uh, most of the episodes are already available right now on my Patreon. Um, just go to Patreon and search for Philip Rice, 1L, or Adam Prosser, 2S's, or neversleepsnetwork.com slash series slash what-mad-universe, which has all the links and, of course, this podcast. And you can follow us on Twitter at WMU Podcast or Prankster36 for me or Spear Halfock with an F underscore for Philip. Um, yes, I also uh, wanted to briefly plug my uh, webcomic, The Apex Society, which has actually done some tie ins to our subject today. Frank, a descendant of Frank Reed, is, um, is a modern day Elon Musk type who ends up collaborating with space Nazis. So that's a thing. Um, uh, anyway, um, so uh, until next time, uh, keep your boilers stoked. <laughs> <laughs>